business owners like you, like me, need to break the habit of automatically assuming that your potential clients don't have the money to pay you or that they can't afford your price points. Why do we assume how deep our clients' pockets are? Does their financial reality have any bearing on the value of your work? Your price point is your price point. It is not up for negotiation. Welcome to Selling Chocolate, the podcast where I am sharing the tactical steps, mindset shifts, and strategies that will help big-hearted entrepreneurs like you expand your visibility, impact, and income, and create consistent five-figure months doing work you love doing in the way you love doing it. Around here, we call that sustainable success. I'm your host, Carly Jo Bell, cat lady, business coach, product and service-based business owner, and the founder of Whole Co. Media. By tuning into this episode today, you are showing your brain that not only is it possible for you to create genuinely sustainable success in your business, it's also a reality that is available to you right now. And now all you need to do is listen and then choose to take the aligned next step toward your version of sustainable success. So let's dive in. How do you feel when it comes time to say the price on a sales call? I had a sales call coming up and I was going to quote a five-figure price point for the very first time. I was also going to sell a standard packaged offer instead of customizing the offer to the individual client as I had been doing for many, many, many clients before that. So using what I knew about my past work with my clients and working with my coach at the time, I created a standard packaged offer that I knew based on the context I had about this lead I knew that this would be perfect for them. I knew this is actually exactly what they needed. And so I practiced with my coach. I literally was saying like, it's $10,000, it's $10,000, it's $10,000. I was saying it over and over and over. I was saying it to myself, to my coach, to the mirror, to the ocean. I was trying to desensitize myself to the fact that this new package that actually wasn't really new. It was what I had been doing with my clients way before then. (laughs) But I was trying to desensitize myself to the fact that it was $10,000. So I got on the sales call. Of course, I was so anxious that whole day. Anxious, but also excited, right? Like I was like, ready to do something new. And I, I knew it was coming and I was so ready for it. I got on the sales call. I did everything exactly how I had planned to until it came time to say that very thing that I had been practicing the whole week. And instead of telling this client, here is the offer and here is how much it is, I said, I'll have to come up with a custom proposal for you, but typically it will be around (laughs) $3,000. As soon as I got off the sales call, I laughed so hard because I had literally just like wimped out. That's that's all that happened. I just wimped out. <laughs> and I couldn't believe that I had spent all that time practicing, all that time really like, okay, I like refining that standardized offer. And then when it came down to it, I choked. I couldn't do it. 
I honestly, looking back, I wonder, like, could I have even done it if my life depended on it? Like, (laughs) I don't know if I would have. (laughs) So I went back to my coach. We laughed about the experience. And then what did we do? We prepared for the next round. And the next time that I had a sales call for that offer, I was ready. And yes, for the very first time, I quoted my five-figure price point. And guess what happened? First, no one died. (laughs) And I got my first five-figure client. As you all have probably realized by now, business is full of opportunities for growth. It is so full of opportunities for us to stretch into our edges and to expand. And especially when we're earlier on in our businesses, pretty much every single one of those opportunities, like raising your price points or doing something you've never done before, is pretty darn uncomfortable. (laughs) Sometimes it feels like the end of the world. Sometimes it is like, why am I even in business? Because all of this expansion, all of that internal work that this business stuff makes us do is really fucking hard. (laughs) And of course, as you, you know, are in business for longer, you get used to it. You get used to being comfortable, being uncomfortable. And then even eventually the kind of things that are uncomfortable stop being so uncomfortable and you kind of level out and it's wonderful. I can speak from experience to that. If you are not there yet, trust me, the time is coming. Keep going. (laughs) But one of the most common edges that all of us entrepreneurs have to expand into right? One of these kind of uncomfortable, like we're stretching and we're like, oh, I don't know if I can do that. (laughs) One of the most common edges that we all have to expand into at some point in our businesses is not reaching into our clients' pockets. Practically what that means is that business owners like you, like me, need to break the habit of automatically assuming that your potential clients don't have the money to pay you or that they can't afford your price points. I'm sure if you're listening to this episode, I don't need to tell you this, but the practical manifestation of what it actually looks like for you to reach into your client's pockets is typically that you negotiate around your price point, you maybe lower your price points, you're afraid to say the price point, and more than likely this fear around what if they can't afford it, or what if it's too much, is also contributing to your dislike or discomfort or unease with sales and selling. It is something, this reaching into our clients' pockets, it's something that so many of us do or have done, and it actually doesn't serve anyone. It doesn't serve you. It doesn't serve the client whose pocket you are reaching into, and it doesn't serve your other clients either. We'll talk about how I know it doesn't serve you or them in a second. (laughs) But first, why do we do this? Why do we assume how deep our clients' pockets are? Why do we assume what people can and can't afford? And here's a question that I haven't seen anyone in the online space answer or even ask. Why do so many business owners create ideal customers for their business that can't afford to work with their business. (laughs) Naturally, I know I cannot speak for everyone, so I'm happy to share my own experience and that of some of my clients to help you see that, number one, 
reaching into your client's pockets is a completely natural phenomenon. It's just so natural. It's such a common experience as entrepreneurs, particularly if you're a big hearted or an empathetic or a highly sensitive entrepreneur. And two, there is a way to stop reaching into your client's pockets and to actually serve and support them even more than you think you are serving and supporting them by reaching into their pockets. Let's go back to that question on why though, right? Why are you reaching into your client's pockets? For both myself and many of my clients, this pattern really comes down to our own history and relationship with money. Let's just be real here by saying that a lot of us have experienced trauma around money, whether that's from not being able to pay our bills at some point in the past or present, or barely skimping by for a few months, maybe even years, or racking up a lot of debt and having to deal with the consequences later or having a financially abusive or manipulative partner, or being subject to unjust or inequitable financial dealings or processes based purely on sexuality or gender or race, or hearing that money was evil in the religion that you grew up in, or going through a financial crisis individually within your family unit, even within the world. There are so many reasons why so many of us have these really warped relationships with money, where instead of seeing money as a tool, we see it as something to fear or loathe or that controls us and our well-being or our potential for well-being in some way. I did a Google search and an article skim when I was preparing for this episode to gather some stats. And even in that small research moment, I found stacks on stacks on stacks of evidence that financial trauma most certainly exists, and it's likely more pervasive in our society than many of us individually recognize, and also that financial trauma disproportionately affects non-males and people of color and potentially even more intensely Black women. Again, I'm a white woman, so I can only speak from my own experience here, but I know that my own financial trauma was a huge driving force into why I was consistently reaching into my clients' pockets. And doing the work to heal those experiences on a deep level was absolutely integral to a lot of things. (laughs) But for the purposes of this episode, it was integral to my ability to stop shortchanging myself by undercharging, by lowering my price points, by even being open to negotiating my price points. So let's start this episode then with this perspective. The money mindset work that you hear a lot of people talking about, including myself on occasion, cannot be complete without recognizing and healing the trauma that so many of us are carrying around money. Healing that trauma is not something that I am equipped to help someone do. So I'm going to stay in my own lane here and recognize that financial trauma is a factor and likely even a driving force into reaching into our clients' pockets, and that everything else I'm about to say in this episode will definitely not heal that trauma, and it might not even touch on the surface of it. If you're wanting more information about healing your financial trauma, then please reach out. I'm happy to send you some aligned referrals, people that I either personally know or through clients' or friends' experiences that I really trust to help you heal on a deeper level. With that said, When I look beyond my own financial trauma and the reasons why I was reaching into my clients' pockets and assuming what they could or couldn't afford, a lot of it really came down to two things. 
One, a persistent belief that I was too much in every area of my life, which in business translated into my prices are too much for people. And two, strategically, a lack of clarity on who I really wanted and needed to be selling to. When I think back to that sales call I had with that first client that I was going to quote a five-figure price point to, I really thought that $10,000 was too much for them. And yet looking back, even though this felt completely true and factual at that time, this belief that $10,000 was too much was pure projection. I had no factual evidence to understand what her financial situation was. And if we're being honest, I was projecting this onto this lead because I couldn't afford to invest $10,000 into my business back then. Essentially, I was taking my own lived experience and projecting it out as if it was everyone's lived experience. I was saying, well, I couldn't afford that, or that's too much for me, and unknowingly deciding that my lived experience must be everyone's lived experience. Listen to those words really clearly. I was taking my lived experience of not having quote-unquote enough money or that that five-figure amount was too much and assuming that everyone's lived experience was that as well. And this is one of those thinking patterns that contributes to casual racism, to sexism, to all of those things, thinking that our experience of the world is how others experience the world too. Now, I like to think that I'm a pretty self-aware person, right? I love examining myself and seeing why I do and think and behave and feel the ways that I do. But this one really slipped through the cracks for me for a really long time, in part because of my own financial traumas, as we've talked about, and also because I had this pervasive belief that I was both too much and not enough, which bled into every area of my life. And I know I am not alone there. (laughs) What was happening therefore for me was that I felt like my price points were too much. And I worried that if someone did pay me, that I would be found out as not enough. This person who theoretically might pay me $10,000 will then be given access to me where they will be able to discover that I wasn't what I said I was, that I wasn't actually trustworthy or good at this work, that I was an imposter or a fraud. Especially as I pivoted into the coaching world, I really freaked out about this because the last thing I wanted to become was one of those sleazy coaches that I saw everyone raging against online. It was basically both a fear of failure and a fear of success. The fear of failure because if this person says no to working with me, then that means that I am not enough. Or if this person says yes to working with me, then they might start working with me and realize that I am not enough. And in addition to that, it was also, if this person tells me that my price point is too expensive or that they can't afford it, then now that also means I am too much. And not only am I too much, but now I've lost a lead and therefore I've lost their money and therefore I'm screwed and I'm not going to make enough. And notice we're back to that word again, enough. It was a losing battle any way you looked at it and on so many different levels. So no wonder I was terrified of telling them that this was $10,000. I want to pause here for a moment and invite you to really consider for yourself what's coming up with you 
as I share my experience with all of the reasons why I used to reach into my clients' pockets. What's resonating? What's landing? What's piquing your interest? And on the other side, what feels completely not like you? And what isn't landing about my experience? There's no right or wrong answers to these questions. I simply want you to pause for yourself and consider. In fact, I'd love to invite you to pause this episode and give yourself at least one or two minutes to consider what are you taking away from this conversation so far? Because I know we've already touched on quite a bit. (laughs) Now, this is really that internal side of my struggle, which I dealt with on every single sales call for years. But what I don't often see people talking about is the strategic side of this phenomenon where we're reaching into our clients' pockets. Earlier in this episode, I asked the question of why do so many business owners create ideal customers for their business that can't actually afford to work with their business? And of course, knowing me, I'd like to follow up that question with a different one. Is there a different way? Another of the key reasons that I see so many business owners, including a past version of myself, reaching into their clients' pockets is because they are accidentally setting themselves up to fail from a strategic perspective from the very beginning. They're making really luxe, handcrafted products, and then they're saying that their ideal customer is someone who is barely starting to pay attention to, let alone actually buy, that caliber of product. When instead, they could be targeting an audience who already loves luxury things, who will only buy this type of product if it's at a certain high-level price point, and who is always on the lookout for something new and unique that not everyone on the mass market has. They're offering high-caliber, done-for-you services, and then they're working with other business owners who are behind where they are in business and who don't actually have the right foundations to support the caliber of the service that they are providing. When instead, they could be even more effective at their work if they started serving business owners who were ahead of them in business, but needed the specialized expertise that you bring to your services. In practice, here's what this might look like. Say you're a copywriter, and this is my go-to example, so sorry about it. (laughs) As any great copywriter knows, you can write the best copy when your clients already know their brand, they already have their messaging, they already have solidified offers that they are successfully selling. This client has a thriving business. Things are already going really well, and now they need an expert, you, (laughs) to come in and to take the magic they're creating in their work and turn that magic into words that consistently convert. Which, by the way, you can only do if they already have clarity on what those core words are. And yet I see so many copywriters, podcast producers, social media strategists, brand strategists, tech consultants, etc., trying to work with business owners who are earlier on in their journey than they are, and therefore who probably don't already have those foundations in place. And this leads to exhaustion for you, the copywriter or whatever other kind of done-for-you specialist you are, because now you're not only having to do your job, like write the copy, you also have to help your new client clarify their messaging, solidify their offers, and a whole host of things that are not in your lane, and in fact are things that your client would be better served by working with someone else on those things first, before they ever come to you. 
Also on a practical level, this typically means that your price points will be and feel like too much for this client because this client doesn't yet understand the true value of your offer and they're not in a primed position to make the most of the deliverables that you give them. As a copywriter, you might've seen this, right? You write copy for someone's sales page and then two months later, they're no longer using that sales page because they're already selling a different offer and that never feels nice on the ego. I see the same thing happening with coaches, by the way. Coaches being afraid to work with people who are maybe ahead of them in some area of their life. Because what do I have to offer someone like that? Well, what you have to offer is your expertise. If you're a life coach and a prospective client comes to you who really just seems to have all of these external measures of success, maybe many of which you feel that you don't yet have, but they want to work with you, then that's typically because you have expertise in some area of life that they feel like they have yet to figure out, let alone master. The client being ahead of you in some way doesn't automatically mean that they are ahead of you in every way. And it definitely doesn't mean that you don't have anything of value to offer them. This digging into your client's pockets starts with financial trauma. It starts with our own internal beliefs about ourselves and the world. And then it extends into the very DNA of your business when you're doing such foundational work like developing your ideal customer and you accidentally create an ideal customer who isn't primed to make the most of the work that you're doing and who therefore is going to tell you that your price points are too expensive or that they can't afford them. Which leads me to my next question. What do you do when someone tells you that your price points are too expensive or that they can't afford them? What you don't do is negotiate your rate down. (laughs) Yes, there's a place for scholarships and all of those things, but even scholarships only work when they are thoughtfully designed and not simply, I feel bad about my price points, so I'm going to make a discounted version because now you have no other qualifications for earning that scholarship besides the very intangible, I feel like this person can't afford the normal rate. (laughs) There is even a place for discounts in running a business. Again, when they are thoughtfully and strategically designed, discounts can be really wonderful. Though typically I would not recommend a discount on -on one-on-one or done-for-you services. I used to be the person who went into my sales calls really just ready to negotiate. (laughs) I was ready to offer a discount. I was ready to throw a bonus in to try to make up for the too much price point. But your price point is your price point. I'm going to say that again. Your price point is your price point. It is not up for negotiation. Can you really just let those words sink in for a moment? Your price point is your price point, and it is not up for negotiation. Instead, what you do when someone tells you that they can't afford your price point is number one, discern whether that's a true reality or if it's an objection that is being unintentionally used to cover up a true objection. And then number two, disconnect their financial situation from the value of your work. Oh, I'm really excited to get into that one, but let's start with number one. How do you discern whether the statement of that's too much or I can't afford that right now is a true reality for your prospective client 
or if it's actually a different objection masquerading as a money objection. To be able to do this really thoughtfully and intentionally, you have to first and foremost be able to hold this lead loosely. So many business owners, including a past version of myself, go into sales calls or sales conversations feeling like they need the sale. They need the money. They need this client. Now, let's be real that there may be very legitimate reasons why you need this money, (laughs) right? Like in order to pay your bills and survive. If that's you, I get that because for the first two years in my business, I lived that. I made 14K in my entire first year in business. And when I looked at my expenses for the year, like my rent, my food, and the ability to get around to places that I needed to be, I was left with a mere couple hundred of dollars with which to quote unquote, have fun with. (laughs) So talk about needing money to survive, right? I literally barely made it. And what I wish I would have done back then in that first year of business is actually gone and gotten another job, preferably a mindless one, but one that would have paid my bills and allowed me to drop this pressure on my business to perform for me. But that's a different conversation. For a lot of entrepreneurs, whether or not there's the actual very legitimate need for the money and there isn't someone close to you, like a parent or a partner that you can healthily, keyword there, (laughs) healthily borrow money from or rely on for support, then this intense pressure on every new lead to convert or to say yes is also rooted in a lot of scarcity. It's, I rarely get on any sales calls and I don't know when I'll get another one. It's, I have no idea how I even got this lead. It was just kind of a fluke. So I need to really make sure that I make this sale because I don't know how to repeat this. It's, this offer is too expensive for most people in my audience or my audience is too small. So I need to make this sale because there are not very many people who will buy this anytime soon. Here's the problem with all of these things though. Desperation doesn't sell. In fact, it pushes people who were ready to buy away because desperation never feels good to be on the receiving end of or to be experiencing yourself for that matter. Desperation also typically leads to a lot of unintentional pain point prodding in your marketing because when you are in that energy of pain and desperation for yourself, you start to exude that into how you talk about your work. And actually in that place, you end up also attracting people who are also feeling desperate. And it just causes this really unhealthy dynamic in your business, in your client work, even in that initial sales call. With my clients inside of Expand, we talk a lot about this kind of in terms of that leaned forward energy or the leaned back energy. The leaned forward energy is when you're kind of in that, like physically I'm leaning forward and I'm like, I have to make this happen. Whereas the leaned back energy is when you are leaned back and you know this is going to happen. Do you hear the shift in that language? I have to make this happen versus this is going to happen. I know that if you really thought about it, there is at least one moment in your life where you were actually in that leaned back energy, that energy where you knew this is going to happen. 
Inside the Season 4 Companion Guide, I've included a few reflection questions to help you determine how you can intentionally access this leaned back energy so that you can release some of this desperation and scarcity from within your sales calls. So head over to sellingchocolatepod.com and grab that Season 4 Companion Guide on the Season 4 resource page. Once you've successfully moved yourself into this leaned back energy and you can now hold your prospective client loosely, you can effectively tap into the true objection, which might be hiding underneath their knee-jerk response of that's too expensive or I'm not sure if I can afford it. I give a few practices for navigating the objections that may come up in sales conversations inside of Expand Level 1 my business coaching program that helps you create your first 10k cash month, but I'll just touch on it here. Essentially, when someone gives you an objection in a sales conversation, such as that's too much, you want to start by determining whether that's a legitimate reality, like they literally can't afford it. It's literally too much for them right now. (laughs) Or if it's simply the easiest response for their brain to come up with that is actually covering up another fear or concern. And this can be quite nuanced, hence the need for a whole training on it inside of Expand. But you can start to discern this by truly listening to what this person is both saying and not saying throughout the entire call. As we talked about in this last episode, one of the biggest things you're doing during a sales conversation is listening. (laughs) You're listening both to what is being said and what isn't being said. And from your super listening skills throughout this entire conversation, you'll typically be able to discern whether that's a legitimate reality, they don't actually have the money, or whether it's an objection. I know that might be a frustratingly simple answer, so come join Expand if you want to go more in depth on that and how to listen for those nuances. If you determine then that it is in fact an objection, right? They're saying, I can't afford that, but actually it's about something else then a simple way that you can help them unearth what the true objection is, is to simply ask, if this wasn't about the money, what do you think your hesitation might be about? Oh, so simple. (laughs) But this simple question provides both them and you with a lot of clarity on what you're really dealing with here and what they are really facing. And this newfound awareness alone could actually be what leads them into the sale. I've literally watched it happen on my own sales conversations. I ask that question, I listen to their answer, and then I guide them through that real objection, which again, there are strategies to help you do inside of Expand. The other piece of this puzzle of navigating someone telling you that your price points are too expensive is to detach their financial reality from the value of your work. Let me ask you a question. Does their financial reality have any bearing on the value of your work? Think about it for a moment. Their financial reality is their financial reality. It is not yours to carry. And this is where we might touch upon some of that financial trauma again, or even other types of trauma, Because us big-hearted entrepreneurs, particularly non-men and people of color, are often the people put into the position where we are supposed to carry the burdens of the people around us. I know that that's something that I have personally had to do a lot of healing work on, really releasing that responsibility for the people around me and for their experiences. And that's something that bled into so many different parts of my life, including my business, and including my prior habit of reaching into my clients' pockets. So let me ask you again. 
does this lead's financial reality have any bearing on the value of your work? Or are these, in fact, two completely separate topics? <laughs> your price point is your price point, and it's okay that that is your price point, and this person cannot afford that price point. I know this is so simple, right? And yet, hopefully, I am here blowing a few minds because the reality is it's true. Their financial reality does not need to have any bearing on your price point. A client recently shared a story that's really beautifully displayed this ability for both to be true, for your price point to be your price point, and for your prospective client's financial reality to be their financial reality. She was on a sales call with a lead, and the lead had specifically said that they were in a tough spot financially. And instead of my client making that mean anything about her, about her work, or about the value of her work, she was able to let both realities be true. And when it came to that point in the sales conversation, she confidently and calmly told the lead what the investment was, all while holding the lead loosely and while not letting their financial reality mean that she wasn't enough or that she was too much, and while still completely honoring the lead's reality, financial and otherwise. This was such a powerful moment for my client and for me as a coach to hear about because it was yet another reminder that you are allowed to have a price point and your prospective clients are allowed to have their financial reality. Both get to be true. And to take it even one step further, just because one lead does not have a financial reality that is supportive of them making this investment right now, doesn't mean that the same will be true for future leads. Some of you might have a little voice in your brain popping up right now that says, but if my ideal customer can't afford my price point, isn't that kind of a problem, Carly? (laughs) And to that, I'll say this goes back to that very foundational work of understanding who your true ideal customer is. Maybe this person is your ideal customer, but they're not yet at the right place in their journey to be ready or capable of investing in your work. Maybe this person is your ideal customer, but they've made other investments and so the timing is off. Maybe this person shares a lot of characteristics with your ideal customer, but as we spoke about before, you haven't actually let yourself start speaking to or working with your true ideal customer the person who can most benefit from you doing your zone of genius level work and none of those extras that you so often find yourself doing simply because this person didn't have some of the foundations in place that they needed in order to be fully ready for your work. None of those situations are reasons to negotiate or change your price point because none of them have to do with you. They all have to do with them. However, if you're constantly finding yourself in sales conversations with clients who are tangential to your true purchase-ready ideal customer, then that's likely a signal that this part of your foundation, your ideal customer, needs to be clarified and really firmed up. Because as I always say, if you want different results, you have to do something differently. (laughs) And if you want to bring in true purchase-ready ideal clients, you have to actually know who that version, the purchase-ready version, of your ideal customer is. A lot of what we've talked about in this episode actually points to a really similar thought pattern, which is the tendency that some people have, myself included, I used to definitely get stuck in this. It's this tendency that some people have or have had 
to think that if one thing is true in one area or one moment, it will automatically be true in another area and in another moment. This is a type of explanatory style, as discovered by psychologist Martin Seligman. Hope I'm saying that last name correctly. Explanatory styles are how we explain negative events to ourselves. So to quote Daniel Pink in one of my favorite sales books, To Sell as Human, people who give up easily, who become helpless, even in situations where they actually can do something, explain bad events as permanent, pervasive, and personal. They believe that negative conditions will endure a long time, permanent, that the causes are universal rather than specific to the circumstances, pervasive, and that they are the ones to blame, personal. This is how so many big-hearted entrepreneurs respond to hearing, that's too expensive or I can't afford that from a lead. They think it's permanent, as in, if this lead says no, I probably won't get another client for a really long time. They think it's pervasive, as in, because this price point is too expensive for this lead, it will be too expensive for every lead. And they think it's personal, as in, I'm charging too much for this offer, and here's the proof. This lead said so. But the reality is there's another option. Instead of negative events, like a lead telling you that your rates are too expensive, being permanent, pervasive, and personal, they can be temporary, specific, and external. Here's what this would look like in this context. If this response was temporary, you would know, it's okay that this person can't afford my work. I will connect with other leads who can. If it was specific, you would be able to say, just because this lead can't afford this doesn't mean that others won't be able to as well. If it was external, you would understand their statement that this is too expensive is actually a reflection of their present reality and has nothing to do with me. As I've spoken throughout this episode, the main takeaway for me is a reminder of how much sales and selling really is both an art and a science. And within that, it really is way more of an internal practice than it is an external strategy. Yes, I've given you strategy and strategic considerations throughout this episode and this season as a whole, but so much of sales strategy even cannot happen without the inner components and that inner alignment. I look at sales conversations like the one I shared about at the beginning of this episode, and I look at the many sales conversations I've had since then, and I see that when I show up in that leaned back energy, which is only made possible by making the shifts that I've spoken about inside of this episode, as well as by healing and beginning to heal that underlying financial trauma that I was carrying with me, that is when I can be fully present on the sales conversation and truly tune in to what this lead needs. And it's only when I am fully present, it's only when I have dealt with my side of things, my energy, (laughs) and it's only when I'm getting paid at a level that is truly sustainable for me that I can truly show up for and really support my clients in getting the results they desire. Reaching into your clients' pockets and assuming what they can and can't afford is typically well-intentioned, but it doesn't serve your people. Knowing the value of your work, dealing with your own energy, and at least being aware of what sort of baggage you may be bringing into sales conversations, and having the confidence to stand firm in your price points and in your packages is how you serve your people. 
So now I want to encourage you to pause before you go from listening to this podcast and then jumping straight into whatever the next thing is and really consider what might you need in order to manage your own energy, to support yourself through all of this kind of money-related baggage and stop reaching into your clients' pockets. As I mentioned before, I've given some reflection questions to get you started in that Season 4 Companion Guide, available over on the Season 4 resource page at sellingchocolatepod.com. I'll see you over there, and may you use what you've learned in this season to really sell with ease and absolutely no sleaze.